God loves our praise. He loves it when we worship Him. And as we were worshiping that last song, He just was permeating this place. I don't know if you felt that. I don't know if you recognized that. But He was permeating this place. He is here right now. Can everybody hear me? Yes, no, maybe. Yeah, this microphone will be so much easier when I'm not right in front of a speaker. But he loves his worship. And as we were worshiping, and as I was praying to him and speaking to him, and he was speaking to me, he wanted me to tell you something. And that is get ready. Get ready because things are about to change. And I, I, I don't mean to be cryptic, but part of that is the building, which we've talked about, we've prayed for, and no, I don't know any more specifics, don't, so don't come up to me afterwards and, oh, do you know something? No, I, I know that he has confirmed even again this morning that it's very soon. But what he said was prepare. He said get ready. And that doesn't mean just to, well, okay, yeah, I'll I'll get ready when it comes. Because what I think he wants is a mind frame of reaching out. He wants a mind frame like they had in the book of Acts. That mind frame of reaching out not only to the lost, but to everybody. We reach out to everybody in love. And, and again, by the way, it's not to get them to come to ignition. That's great if they come to ignition. But it's to reach out in love for the sake of love. It's to reach out in love to show people Jesus Christ. Because when you show them love, you show them Jesus Christ. How do we do that? We fill up on His love. Because one thing that's beautiful about His love is it cannot be contained. If you let an open faucet just pour into your soul, pour into your spirit of His love, it cannot help but pour out once you're full. Can't help it. And so when you're full, don't turn the spout off. Right? You keep that spout on. Because then what flows out of you is everything that flows in. And that, that, that's just, it's amazing what he does when we do that. I challenge you, try that in your life. Try it for one week in your life. To where every morning you fill up in his love. You worship Him. You spend time meditating on Him. You spend time in His Word. You talk to Him. Talk to Him with expectation that He's going to talk back. Do you believe you can hear from the Lord? Do you believe that He'll actually talk back to you? See, it astounds me how many Christians don't. Well, and and by the way, it shouldn't astound me because that's, that's how I spent 40 years of my saved life. But I'm here to tell you that He does speak to you. As a matter of fact, what I have found is that He's been speaking to me since my day of salvation. 
It's just, I didn't recognize his voice. See, it says his sheep know his voice. And the big confusion is you don't become his sheep the second you're saved. And I know that's kind of what we think of. Well, we become his sheep when we accept him into our hearts. No, that's not the case because, see, a sheep has to learn the voice of its master. See, when, when a shepherd comes in and let's say a shepherd gets a new flock, they don't automatically know his voice. They learn his voice. But see, once you learn his voice, you recognize it. You know it. It's beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know exactly what that voice sounds like. And so then when you speak to him, there is expectation for him to speak back. That's what was going on with me during worship this morning. Is I was having a conversation with him. And that's when he told me to tell them to prepare. Tell them to be ready. So ready your hearts for what he's about to do. Because if you're here, I promise you, you're a part of it. I promise you He has a plan for you and it's beyond these walls and beyond the walls of where we're going to be. That plan is to share His love. That's how He will ready the bride. That's how He will begin the work that He wants to begin. Now we've been in this series for a while. This is spiritual warfare. I think this is such a critical series, and I know there's a lot of technical information in here. I would encourage you even to go back and listen to some of the, the things that we've gone over. We went all the way from the history of spiritual warfare and where it started and how it came about to where we are today. We're in the courts of heaven. We're beginning to understand, we're going through what does it mean to be in the court of heaven? What does it mean that heaven operates in courts? That the Father is the judge. He is not just the judge to come. He's not just the judge at the end of the world, at the great white throne judgment, when He separates us based on if we're in the Lamb's book of life or not. It's not that kind of judge only, but He is a judge currently. And we've gone over this. We went through that the last couple of weeks. I, I encourage you to go back through that. So He is a judge sitting on the throne right now. Now, is He just sitting in anticipation of what's coming in, you know, thousand plus years? No. It's because he's judging right now. Court is in session right now. It's in session as we speak. It continues as we speak. Right? Court is in session. Last week we talked about what it means to have the authority to go in that court. What it means to have the authority to step in before the Father and to operate in the court of heaven. We talked about what authority meant. And, and the authority of that is, first of all, salvation. Right? But then we talked about Joshua. as Remember the, the high priest Joshua we talked about last week. We talked about him 
being cleansed. When he went before the court, he was cleansed. He was given new attire. He was given a new turban, right, that were cleansed. Because he had to be cleansed going before the court. But he was given authority as the high priest to come before the court. Now, now that we're in the New Testament, what are we? When we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we're both kings and priests, the Bible says. So we are given the same authority that the high priest was. Because we are kings and priests. We now can go before the court... And we have our advocate, Jesus Christ. Basically our attorney, Jesus Christ, with us. We go in agreement with him, and we talked about that last week. And and what it means to go before the Lord in agreement. Now I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 7. I want to give you a picture. Now this is one that is going to happen in the future. Okay, this is, this is an end time judgment time. Okay, and we're going to go through this to give you a picture of what is coming, but it gives you a picture of what happens right now. And this is important to understand. So we're going to read Daniel chapter 7, starting at verse 9. It says this, As I looked, and this is a prophecy by Daniel, he is seeing a vision, a prophetic vision of what is to come. He is picturing the court of heaven. He's not on earth, he is in heaven. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. This is the Father. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning. Just picture that a second. Imagine and put that picture in your head. The Ancient of Days, the Father, Father God, takes His throne, and this throne is fiery flames. Its wheels, or the base of it, is burning fire. Verse 10, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. This fire that we hear of all the time. See, this fire acts, talks about as the power of the Holy Spirit. The very power of God just flying out of his throne. See, that's the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Halfway through verse 10, a thousand thousands served him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. What you have there is you have a breakdown of two people groups. You have angelic beings, and then you have those who were saved. You have the bride. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. So you can imagine this great hush that comes over that entire place. Everybody was seated. Court was in session. They opened the books, and they began to read. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. Imagine a trumpeter... Okay, like, like in a current courtroom, a, a bailiff perhaps that reads 
what is being submitted, or it could be an attorney, whatever, somebody in court that reads what is being submitted to the court. So again, verse 11, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. See, this is going on during and toward the end of the tribulation. Again, I said this was prophetic. This is something to come. But what it gives us a picture of is something that happens every day in the courts of heaven. You have heaven being brought to a place of everybody seated and coming into session. The courts go into session in heaven every day. All the time. What happens? The book's opened. It's read from the books. And then the case is tried. In this case, what's coming up at the end of the tribulation, they opened the books, they saw in the books that it was planned for this beast to be killed and its body destroyed and burned with fire. So that's the very thing that happened. See, it was decreed in the court of heaven and therefore it happened on earth. This is a picture of what's coming, but it's also a picture of what happens every day. See, we have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ. We have an accuser in heaven, Satan. We have the judge, the Father. We have people around the group of witnesses, which are are people that are in heaven now, as well as angelic beings, that are witnesses to the courtroom. This happens even right now as we speak. This happens. Now, out of that, they open these books and they try a case. So what happens? In in today's day and age, you don't just get to have court whenever you want. Right? Court is brought for the sake of accusation or to defend an accusation. It's no different in the courts of heaven right now. Courts of heaven come and they, they, they begin because of an accusation or in defense of an accusation. See, we're going to go through some of this, but, but what happens? Okay, we talked about Job a few weeks ago. And, and Jesus, uh, or, or the, uh, God said, you know, among all my, my people there on earth, Job is righteous. And yet, Satan had an accusation against him. He accused his very motives. He said, yeah, but, if you didn't put this hedge around him, then he'd be a mess just like everybody else. That was an accusation. I want you to understand and get into the mind frame of a courtroom. That was Satan going before the court and saying, no, wait, his motives are not pure. His motives are that he does it simply because you protect him. That's the only reason. So if you stop protecting him, you watch and see what happens. Can you picture Satan coming before the throne and saying that? 
And what I want you to understand is God had no choice. God had no choice but to try that case. He had no choice than to say, okay, Satan, present your case. You can do all of this to him that you desire, but you cannot take his life. You ever wonder why God would do that? Is he just a mean God? Is he just a sadistic God to say, well, well, this will bring me glory, you know, here's hell. No. Do you understand? He had no choice. Because, see, Satan had a legitimate complaint. Satan had a legitimate complaint coming through the court saying, yes, but his motives are wrong. So it had to be played out in court. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It was played out. And then when, when the end of it came, Job was vindicated. Job was vindicated and he was, he was given, I think it was double? Double what he had in the beginning. That was restitution. You know, everything we think of in the court system today, all of those things can be applied. Restitution, maybe that's something that we'll talk about in the future, future coming weeks. Because do you know, when Satan goes after you, and he is proven wrong, do you know he owes restitution? And do you understand that he can be proven wrong when one thing is there, and one thing is evident, and that's your salvation. Because when you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you were covered by the blood of the Lamb. You were covered by the blood of the Lamb. So that's why Jesus said we have the authority to come before the throne and ask forgiveness for our sin. Ask forgiveness for anything that brings, puts a barrier between us and, and the Father in that personal relationship. And when we ask that forgiveness, not only is it forgiven, but we have the right. We have the right. Look at Job. We have the right to ask for restitution. Why? Because he accused a child of God. I don't know about you, but man, that makes me start making my list. I need restitution on this. I need it on this. You took this away from me here. You took this away from me here. Remember, it's Satan that takes it away because Satan is the one accusing. So Satan's the one that owes the restitution. You know, it kind of changes things when you begin to think of it like that, right? So again, I, I, I kind of went off base there a little bit, but remember the picture that we just read. The court was gaveled into session and books were opened. Okay, what books are we talking about? And by the way, that happens every time the court of heaven is brought into session. It cannot be brought into session without evidence being presented. What is the evidence being presented? It is these books. What are these books? Okay, and by the way, it's just like in a courtroom today. You can't just speak into the court. What happens? It's being transposed. 
Right? The stenographer is there and putting word for word what is being said in the court and any evidence being presented is presented and all of that's put into record. It's no different with the courts of heaven. So what is the record that is being presented as this evidence? I want you to turn to John chapter 1. See, in heaven there are many books. Pay attention, guys. This is important. Okay? In heaven, there are many books. It's important to understand that there is a book written about you. Everything that you are, everything that you were, everything that you will be, from the eyes of God, was written in heaven. But before we, before we get to that one, the same was with Jesus Christ when He became a man. And, and I'll read that, and Alex mentioned it earlier, Psalm 139. But understand, Jesus Christ became a man, and there was a book written about Him. Verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? The Word is Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then go down to verse 14. And that word, that same word, Jesus Christ, became flesh. So the Word, who was the Son of God, became flesh. He became Jesus, the Christ, and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So see, there was a word written about Jesus Christ. When Jesus came, we won't look this one up, but, but when Jesus came, He said, the whole of the word was written about me. Do you understand? It wasn't just the Gospels written about Jesus Christ. It was the whole of the 66 books in the Bible. They were all written about Him. So when He came and He became flesh, He came and lived out the very Word that was already written about Him as a flesh man. Okay? It was written beforehand. The same is for you. Turn to Psalm 139. Before you were born, a book or a scroll was written about you. And it contained everything that God had for you, or has for you. Let's start at verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. And this is David singing this out. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. What knowledge is he talking about? He's talking about the knowledge of what God had for him and planned for him. What God intended for His life. It's too wonderful. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Verse 7. Where shall I go from Your Spirit? Or where shall I flee from Your presence? If I ascend to heaven, You're there. 
If I make my bed in Sheol or Hades, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light above me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. In the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. See, you understand there was a book written about you. And by the way, this is what makes me so broken over abortion. Sixty million babies slaughtered, murdered, Each one of them had a book, has a book. Each one of them, God had intention for their life. It was not God's will for them to be killed like that. That was because of the accusation of the enemy. That was because of the disobedience of man. But there was a book written about them. There's a book written about you. There's a book in heaven where your book is opened before the court all the time. And in that book, the secrets of your life that you have not lived yet are written. From before you were born, that's what he says here. And by the way, the the verses that Alexis quoted earlier, that is why David said those verses. Let's go down. To verse 23. David, knowing that there was a book written about him, knowing that God knew everything about him before he was even made, David says this in verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous or wicked way in me and lead me in the way after everlasting. What David is doing there, and it's important to understand, he is going before the court of heaven and saying, my book I present as evidence, and I want to proclaim to the court that I desire my book. What you desire for me, I desire. I want that. So anything that comes in the way of that book, anything that comes in the way of what you intend for my life, make me aware of it. Make me aware of it. I will ask forgiveness because it's not what I want. It's not what I want. This is important to get. Because in this is the very potential for conquering the warfare that we've been talking about this whole time. 
you have struggles in your life where you can't figure out how to get beyond that struggle? Do you know there's a book written about you that God never intended that struggle for you? Now praise God, the Bible also says, what, he, what Satan intends for evil, God can turn to good. Praise God for that statement. Because sometimes when we allow something in our life or something happens that, that the enemy comes in and he takes reign of our life and wreaks havoc, just like in Job's life, then God can turn that around for good. And in Job's life, it did. It turned out in, it, to double restitution. And by the way, there's a passage in Deuteronomy that talks about when a thief steals sevenfold restitution. See, all of that can be applied with what the enemy steals from you. We can have restitution. But see, we have to use the evidence that's been written about us. When we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, that book is applied to us. Why? Because we're called of Him. We're called to be His children. And it says in John that when we're born, we're born, when we get born again, I mean, we're saved and we become His bondservant, Paul says. We are a bondservant, a servant of Jesus Christ. We were bought with a price, and we become his servant. See, but John also says that at some point, as intimacy develops in your relationship with Jesus Christ, with the Father through Jesus Christ, at some point you become friends. Right? It doesn't stay at a servant level. It comes to a friendship level. That's all based on your intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, really, it's with the Father through Jesus Christ. As you become intimate, then you have this capability of coming before the throne and saying just what David said. Here's my book. I want my book. I want what you want for me. I want the best of what you want for me. And I submit this as evidence. And then I ask, Lord, please reveal in my heart anything that comes between me and realizing what this book has for me. But see, all that's done in a courtroom setting. All that is done in a legal setting. Why? Because the law came first. And we talked about this last week. Just because Jesus came and fulfilled the law doesn't mean that the law does not exist. It said the law has to exist to accuse. The law is actually what brings repentance. Does that mean we live under the law? No. But in the courts of heaven, it has to be operated by law. That's why God does not have any choice when we do something in our lives and we give place to the enemy, God does not have any choice when the accuser comes and he says, I have a case to bring against this person. 
Here is my evidence. Here's what they've done. They've turned from you. They said they didn't want you or or whatever it may be. They want this instead. And then like a typical prosecutor, they can heap on anything they want at that point that would be logical to that accusation. Any evidence that they can bring. And that's what the accuser does. Revelation 12, verse 10, he says, he goes about the earth, roaming to and fro, getting anything that he can on people. Anything that he can, any evidence that he can. And by the way, don't think it's him running around all over the earth himself. Can't be. He's not omnipresent. And he spends his time before the court. So he's got a lot of these little minion you know, what what are they called? Legal aids? (laughs) He's got all these little legal aids operating throughout the entire world that are feeding him this information. Do you know that just as you have an angel assigned to you for safety, you also have a demonic spirit assigned to you for proof? Is that wild to think of? You have a demonic spirit assigned to you to gather the very evidence that's necessary to accuse you in the court. So so from the get-go, we're in a battle. The moment we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, that battle for heaven is done. We're sealed. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it's over with. We're covered. Right? But... The battle for intimacy begins. And see, in Satan's mind, it's not a battle for intimacy. In Satan's mind, it's a battle for your effectiveness. Because in all honesty, once you're saved, he could care less if you're close to the Lord or not. What he cares about is the fact that if you become close to the Lord, it has to pour out. (laughs) It's going to pour out. And that's what he wants to stop. So it becomes a battle, becomes a war, it becomes this this legal battle over your life and over your effectiveness. But that's where we can go to these books and we can present them before the court. Okay, turn to Psalm Psalm 40. We're going to get a little further into these books here. Psalm verse 40, this is proof again of David specifically knowing that there was a book written about him and him declaring what the book said. Verse 6, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come... In the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. This is David going before the court. You understand, he he is in prayer. When he is writing this psalm, he is in prayer. He is in worship. He is coming before the court and he says, I recognize there is a book written about me. And in that book... I delight in you. And I am presenting that book as evidence before the court. Let me give you another one. 
2 Timothy. We'll go into the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is, this is, Paul was talking to Timothy here. This was after Timothy was, had, had hands laid on him and he was commissioned and he was sent and all that. And this is Paul admonishing him. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as, as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. What Paul's saying here, there, there must have been some sort of fear that Timothy had in displaying the very gifts that he was given. The very gifts that were given by the laying, hand, laying on of Paul's hands. And he's saying, we're not given a spirit of fear, which by the way, let me, let me digress here for one second. Fear is a spirit. And I think I said this last week, but with Halloween coming up, understand, fear is a spirit. It's a demonic spirit. It's an evil spirit. And fear is not something to be confused with excitement. I say that because that was where I was at. I loved to be afraid. I think I mentioned that last week. I loved the excitement, the adrenaline of being afraid. But understand here, fear is a spirit. There is no place for fear in your life. Certainly not fear that is invited in. I want to encourage you to pray about that. Especially this time of year when all these movies come out that the intent of that movie is to scare you. Okay, just not preaching on it, just think about it. Alright? So we are at verse... Uh, yeah, 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 somewhere. Seven. Yes. For God gave us a spirit of fear. Not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. There you go. That not is a pretty important word there. For God gave us... The spirit not of fear. There we go. Therefore, verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So understand there that God gave his purpose and his grace to both Paul and Timothy for what they're supposed to do. And read the, let's read this next thing here. Which he gave us in Christ Jesus, what? Before. Before the ages began. See, do you understand what that's saying? It's in agreement with the book. That's the very thing that was stated about Timothy in his book... Because that power and purpose and grace was given to Timothy before he was ever born. It was purposed in the book written about him. And that's what Paul is trying to say. He says in verse 13, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. What Paul's saying is, I am reading from the very book that was written about you. 
See, this portion was given to Paul to state to Timothy. See, I've been given this portion of your book. You're supposed to operate with purpose and grace. You're supposed to operate absence of a spirit of fear. I know this. Why? Because it's in your book. It's what God wants. And what He's saying to Timothy is don't let anything get in the way of that. Especially fear. Don't let anything get in the way of what God has for you in your life. Many of you sitting here may know portions of what God has for you. Some may not. Depends where you're at with your walk with Christ. But what I can tell you is your book is accessible. Your book is accessible. We know different things in the Word of God that we know are for sure written in our book. If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, then it is in your book to have an intimacy with Him. It is in your book to be used by Him. It is in your book that you've been given a gift, or many gifts, to be used by Him. Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, we're given different things. Right? Ephesians 4 says, according to our faith, according to the portion of faith that the Holy Spirit gives, then in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, one servant was given one, one was given two, one was given five. They were all his servants, but they were all given a portion based on what the Master gave them. His choice. But then there was expectation. See, it's no different with us. When you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you were given access to your book. But you know what? The enemy has access to it too. Because in every courtroom setting, the prosecution and the defense has to have access to the same submitted information. So you may be able to access your book, which you can, but so can the enemy. Does it ever wonder why, make you wonder why the enemy goes after you? When Why in the world? I'm not even doing anything. Why are you going after me? I want to submit to you, it's because he read in your book what is supposed to happen. And by the way, he's really effective. He's good at it. I look back at my own life and the calling that I had for ministry started as far as I can remember, maybe it was before this, but I remember at the age of five was when that calling began. And I had that calling all up through high school and just absolutely loved and adored Jesus Christ. I I grew up in legalism and it was a different perspective than I have now. But then there was an accusation made in my life in the court of heaven. And it, because of my response to that accusation, it derailed my life. It took me off the very purpose that God had me in, on track for. And does that mean I became a bad Christian? 
No, I've been saved 43 years. And I've had many, many fruitful things, even through the times where I was not exactly where he wanted me to be. I've been a worship leader for 15, was a worship leader for 15 years before we started the, the church. Lots of fruit. Lots of joy. So don't assume that because you have fruit in your life that there is not something that is being accused of you. Because it wasn't until I began seeking Him with deep, deep intimacy that my book was shown to me. That I was supposed to be doing this. That He's really been calling me to this. As I became intimate with Him, He revealed that. And as I became obedient to that, just like Job, the accuser was silenced. Not because I became good. That's, there's no way to ever silence the accuser because you're good. Don't lie to yourself that way. The only way to silence the accuser is repentance. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't seek you first. I'm sorry that I didn't even understand what it meant to have an open, personal, intimate relationship with you. See, I didn't understand, Lord, that, that you actually want to talk back to me. That you want a two-way conversation, not a one-way. See, I didn't understand that, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, and I want that. I want that. I declare that just like David did in Psalm 40. He declared it. There's power in declaration. You can't just think it in your mind. Because the court will never hear you. See, Satan, the accuser, needs to hear. It's like submitting evidence. That's what David was doing in Psalm 40. He was submitting evidence to the court saying, I declare, I want your book for my life. As he began showing me this intimacy of relationship, I didn't even understand how to operate in the courts at that time, but yet that's exactly what I was doing. I went before the courts in that intimate place with the Father. And I said, I want it. I want it. You've called me to this. I want it. Yes, I want it. What do I have to do? Yes, I'll do it. It doesn't matter. I don't care what I have to do. I give you my yes. He said, okay, close your business. Break every tie for you being able to take care of yourself and trust me. I wish I could say I listened to that one the first time. <laughs> Took three times. But three's a charm. Three's the trinity. You know, I never noticed that's, that's another three. There you go. The third time I listened and I closed the business and I sold the equipment. I did everything that he said to do. I just poured my life out and gave it to him. I said, I just want your book. I just want what you want. I don't want to dictate and say, give me chapter 12. 
I'll take chapter 12, let's skip 13 and 14, and then we'll go from 15 on. You know, it doesn't work that way. It's, Lord, I want my book. Why? Because I trust you. I trust that you know what's better for me than I do. I know that you have your best plans for my life. The Bible says he wants good for us, not evil. Right? He loves us, and he wants the best for us. Now, I want to also submit, as we begin to close here, I knew I wouldn't get that far. It's so funny, I have a whole thing of notes here, and I got down about a third of the page. It's important to understand that our books are not the only books that are in heaven. Okay? There are many, many books in heaven. Some that are being written as we live our lives. Okay, All of those that are written are submitted to the court and they're literally put together in the court. Right? And, and, and turn to Revelation chapter 10. We'll read about some of these because it's not, it's not just books about us. Okay, but there are books about nations. There are books about people groups. There are books about different types of of things here on earth, different groups of things on earth, destinies for nations, destinies for all sorts of things. Let's look in uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 8. Then the voice that I heard, now this is the vision that John had of the end time, okay? But again, scrolls are being opened up in heaven, which by the way, from chapter 4 of Revelation on, that is... The entire thing is, the scene is a courtroom. The whole thing is being played out in the court of heaven. When you understand that and you go to read Revelation, it will make so much more sense to you. That this is being played out for real in heaven. Okay? So verse 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me saying, Go, take the screw... Excuse me. Take the scroll or book that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll or little book. And he said to me, take it, eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little book from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, My stomach was made bitter. And here's the key verse. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. What's going on there in the court? See, John was told to take the book, ingest the book, understand the book, know what the book said, because then he's going to read from the book. He's going to speak from the book about these different peoples, these different nations, these different languages, these different kings. So there's books written about literally everything in heaven. Do you understand there is a book written about ignition? Is that wild? Father, we declare this morning we want your book written about ignition. We want 
every line to be true. We declare that this morning in agreement before Your throne, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ. There's a a book written about ignition. God has intention with ignition. He has books on all of our lives that add up to what He wants to do in ignition. You understand that? See, so if you don't allow Him to do your part according to your book, then that place is not placed in the book of ignition. See, because ignition as a group of people, when we say, Lord, we want you to have your will and have your way, then He finds people to do that. He finds people willing to ask for their book and willing to seek the intimacy required to get it. So so it's not just books about us. It's books about groups, nations, languages, kings. And that's what John prophesied about and spoke about. Now I'm going to close with this. Turn to Luke. Luke chapter 22. And I talked about this a few weeks ago, but Peter, this is toward the end of the time with Jesus. This is toward the end here. And and Peter is, you know, basically, you know, I love you, I'll do everything, and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Jesus says this to Simon Peter. Let's start at verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that it might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. See, there's a couple of things going on here. First of all, that word demanded there is in the Greek, which means demanded for trial. Specifically, it means demanded for trial. So what Jesus is saying, Jesus got a word of knowledge from the Father who was giving him the understanding of what was going on in the courts of heaven right then. And what he said was, Satan demanded for trial you, Simon Peter, He wants to bring you to trial so that He can sift you like wheat. What does that mean? To be sifted like like wheat means to shake about to see whatever bad falls out. See, when they would sift wheat, it's it's to separate the chaff from the wheat. Separate from the bad from the good. That's what He wanted to do. He wanted to sift Peter which would give him access to a lot more stuff, and he had some sort of accusation that allowed him to do that. So there's something key here to understand. What did Jesus say? He said, so I've been praying for you. He said, I went before the courts and I prayed for you. I prayed strength so that he might not be able to have his full way. Did he still get to sift him? He did. Okay, because if you read on from there, what happened? 
You know, Peter denied Jesus Christ three times. You know, Peter went through that point of, I will die for you. Just kidding. Run away. He wasn't, he wasn't going to die for him. He was, in fact, he was going to run from him. He was being sifted. But because Jesus Christ prayed for him, and Peter had a heart to love Jesus Christ, Jesus' prayers were answered. Because, what's it say? Verse 32 again. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Okay, that's what he's doing. But then, post-sifting the rest of the verse. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So what he's saying there is once the sifting is over and you've come back to seeking me with your whole heart and not letting fear grip you, which is what was going on. Fear gripped Peter, gripped all the disciples for that matter. But once that fear had no more grip, he said what? Strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that he would come through that trial. Did the enemy have accusation? Absolutely. Proof of that is the fact that he got to take him to trial. Did he sift him or sift him? Absolutely. Proof of that is that he denied Jesus Christ three times. But as the intercessor, Jesus Christ, came before the throne, he interceded for us. And he said, I know his heart. Hold him close, because I know his heart. I know he loves me. He has claimed allegiance to me. He has a personal relationship with me. So make the boundary of what Satan can sift. Now, it doesn't go into that detail, but that's exactly what happened. See, because it was answered, and Jesus knew before it ever happened that Simon Peter would come back and that he would literally become, as he prophesied earlier, the, the rock in which the church was built. Which, by the way, that also means Jesus Christ. But Peter, we know through, the, through Acts, was one of the greatest sounding boards of the original church. And he was the first sounding board, or the, the megaphone, whatever you want to call it, for the church. We have purpose here on earth written in our books. And do you understand that God has to have a legal right for you to experience what's written in your book? If we don't give Him a legal right to give it to us, He can't give it to us. If we don't present to the throne our desire for Him to work in our lives, our desire for that book, He cannot present it. Even Jesus Christ as our advocate that's there cannot do it Himself. Why? Because Deuteronomy says that it requires the presence of at least two or three witnesses. That's how truth is established. That's how it is in the court. See, that's why we can go to the court 
as Jesus is there as our advocate and we can come as two witnesses. What do we witness? It's not about going to the court and saying, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that. Rest assured, rest assured, if there is an accusation in heaven by the accuser over you, then there is validity to that accusation. He may expound upon it, but there is validity to that accusation. You've got to figure out what is the validity to that. But here's the beautiful thing. It really doesn't matter. Because what's the answer? Not to fight him in court. And and we'll get into this next week, but it's to agree. It's agreement with your accuser. We'll get into that next week. That's what forgiveness is. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for the very thing he's accusing me of. And, and by the way, I don't even know, let's say you don't know what he's accusing you of. That's fine. That's what, that's what David did. Showing me any wicked way. Reveal to me any wicked way. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Write those down. Showing me any wicked way. Reveal that. Why? So I can ask forgiveness. So it can no longer be an accusation from the enemy or his ability to come after me in that way. And again, we'll get into some of this more next week because there are also safety things that we can set up. There are ways of fighting in the court that perhaps we don't think of or we don't understand. But the one thing I want to encourage you to do this week, as you spend time with the Lord, go before Him and say, I want my book. Show me how, but I want my book. Say it out loud. Say it so the enemy hears it. I declare I want my book. Go in agreement with Jesus Christ. See, He's there. He wants your book. He wants what God wants for your life. So go in agreement with Him before the Lord and you don't have to know how to operate in the courts. Okay? Don't worry about some specific language that you're supposed to have or, you know, anything else. i got to dress up and wear a suit. No. None of that is important. What is important is that you go in agreement with Jesus Christ, your advocate, and declare, I want my book. I want what you want for my life. Showing me any wicked way. And as he reveals things to you, don't fight it. Agree with it. And go before the Lord and ask forgiveness. Because that is what destroys the accusation. Why? Because we're covered by the blood. We're covered by Jesus Christ who is the most powerful Satan and all his little minions tremble at even the thought of Jesus Christ. So to say, I am forgiven and I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb, that's like saying, I'm going to crush you if you stay in my way. 
You understand? That's exactly why Satan runs in fear when we are letting the Lord do in our lives what He wants to do. That's crazy. I I love that. He is awesome. He is absolutely awesome. Let's pray. Let's pray.